Hello there, I am student. Welcome to IELTS Podcast. You no longer have to worry, fret, or panic about IELTS because we are here to guide you through this test jungle. Enjoy these IELTS tutorials, and if you need more help or want to access the finished online course, you can visit us at IELTSpodcast.com. Hi IELTS students, I'm Daphne. Thank you for tuning into this podcast from IELTSpodcast.com. Hope you're all doing well in your IELTS preparation and managing to stay positive. So in this tutorial, we are going to be looking at how to pass the IELTS speaking exam. And as you know, uh, speaking is one of the four parts of the test and one which some students feel quite relaxed about and others get really nervous because they have to speak in front of an examiner who is recording what you're saying. It is quite intimidating. Uh, absolutely, it can be very frightening. However, uh, what we want to do here is to help you become more confident and help you have a look at some techniques which you can re- which can really help you. So wherever you are on this spectrum of being confident and relaxed or being nervous, there are key exam speaking skills that you need to know so you can approach your test feeling fully confident and get the best score you can. So let's just recap or revise. Your speaking test has three parts. And one important thing to appreciate is that in order to pass the art speaking test, uh, the examiner, you need to know how the examiner will be marking you. So the four categories that the examiner is listening for and grading you on are fluency and accuracy. So this is really how uh, how well you speak. It doesn't mean that you can't make mistakes. Fluency is just about keeping going forward, not about stopping and correcting yourself all the time. Obviously, accuracy, pronunciation. Uh, you don't have to speak like the Queen. Uh, you just need to be able to speak very clearly so the examiner can understand you. Grammatical range and accuracy. So that's all the complex grammar structures that we're going to look at today. And lexical range, which means how wide your vocabulary is and how easily you can use collocations, synonyms and compound words, for example. So the test has three parts. Part one lasts about four to five minutes and is designed as a kind of warm-up to help you feel relaxed and get used to the examiner's voice and you have the time to kind of breathe and just get into your stride a bit. Uh, you're going to be asked some questions about work or study and then a variety of more more questions about familiar topics such as your family uh, or hobbies or schooling or education, music, festivals, traditions in your country. Fairly wide-ranging, fairly general. And the language you need for this is relatively informal. You'll be familiar with it. Although, obviously, you have the chance to show off and impress the examiner by adding grammatical structures, such as conditionals, and always allow a personal example, which adds detail. So the examiner will probably decide in their head, roughly, what man's score you are at this stage. So you need to make a great first impression, And to be really successful in our speaking test, you need to build from part one to really impress and like blow the examiner away in parts two and three. So part two is the long term and is a kind of presentation. And you are presented with a cue card, which contains a series of questions about a single topic. So you have a minute to think, prepare, 
write notes and then you'll start speaking and you have to keep going as fluently and coherently as you can for around two minutes so the examiner will not interrupt you here. Many arts candidates feel most concerned about how to prepare for this and I think it's a really good idea to practice as much as you can by researching previous questions, uh, thinking how you'd answer them and getting feedback to help you identify what your strengths are and what possible weaknesses you may have. And actually, that gives me the chance to mention at Arts Podcast, we are now doing personalised feedback uh, on the speaking part two. So you can send us your speaking part two cue card uh, on Vokaroo and we will feedback to you what we think is amazing and what we think you should be focusing on. So you have time to use that feedback to become more confident and ready for your exam. So that's going well, and uh, thank you for sending in your cue cards if you've done that already. And I encourage you lots of you to do that because it's great fun. Part three is what I want us to work on today uh, in this tutorial. And in part three, the section lasts around four minutes. You're going to be asked some more abstract and wide-ranging questions relating to the cue card you had in part two. So there's a connection there. And to score very highly here in IELTS Speaking Part 3, you need to master skills which relate to speaking confidently and coherently on a wide range of topical subjects. So we're going to look at lots of examples today and the skills I want to help you with and which you need to master and become super confident in are those of comparing and contrasting, identifying problems or issues and adding detail, developing your opinion and reasons for this, expressing doubt and probability, and then speculating. So as you can see, there's a lot of skills, um, but the good news is that many of these are very useful and important for task one and task two, particularly on writing. So as a bonus, this is going to help you for your writing as well. So let's start uh, number one. So the sub-skill we're going to look at first is comparing and contrasting. So this means thinking of the similarities and of differences. So here's a typical part three question, and I want you to keep three words in your head. Both, but, for example. Okay, both, but, or for example. So the topic here is sport, and the cue card uh, relating to this was about describing a sport in which you've played as a team. So possible part three follow-up might be. Which is more exciting to watch, athletics or gymnastics? So remember our words, both, but, for example. And listen to this possible answer. Even better, pause and write down your own answer. So the question was, which is more exciting to watch, athletics or gymnastics? So you could pause here and just write down your own answer. So my answer is... They are both sporting activities which demand a significant amount of skill and dedication and are usually both started at a young age, especially if you want to come a prof become a professional. But I think athletics has a wider appeal and the track races, such as the 100 metres or 200 metres, can be incredibly exciting. For example, in the Olympics, those races are usually the highlight of the athletics competition. So you can see if you listen again to that bit, I've used both sporting activities and both started at a young age, but I think athletics has a wider appeal. And then I give them my example about the Olympics. 
So here's another one. And instead of but, I'm actually going to use however. Is it better to attend a sporting event or watch it on TV? So remember our words, we've got both, but or however, and for example. Well, I know that watching both live or on TV can be exciting and that fans always make time to support their favourite team or individual sportsmen. However, in my country, participating in live matches is out of reach for many budgets as the ticket prices have risen dramatically in recent years. For example, stadium seats for football matches are often over £150 and on that basis, watching on TV with friends and family is a more accessible option. So if you listen to that, what I've done is answered all parts of the question and structured it well and added a range of vocabulary without repetition. So there's a lot of sports vocab here and paraphrasing. So instead of attend a match or an event, I've used participate in. So I've understood the question needed me to compare and contrast and I've tried to do that with these words, the both, the however, and then the for example. Okay, so comparing and contrasting, think about those three words to structure your answer nicely. Next, we're going to look at identifying problems or reasons for something and adding detail, which is not always as easy as it sounds. And like all these uh, skills for IELTS speaking, important to be confident and happy with it before you take your test. You don't want to be there on the exam day thinking, oh, help, how do I do this? Okay. So let's look at an example here, uh, and it's a good idea to think of part three as a discussion with the examiner. So your answers will be shorter than the part two presentation, and imagine you're having a conversation with a friend or a tutor or a work colleague, so make sure you pause and allow time for the examiner to respond or ask another question or react to what you're saying. So it's very important here, don't go on for too long. So the topic we're going to look at here is urban problems. So again, another very common IELTS theme in writing and speaking tests as well. So question, what are the biggest problems faced in many cities today? So you have to react quickly here, but a really good way to prepare, and if you've been preparing carefully, and you may have heard me or Ben or Ellen talking before about mind mapping, which we also recommend for task two. So if you do a quick mind map as you practice, obviously you can't do this in the exam, but as you practice now, you could do a mind map, you put city problems in the beginning, in the middle, and draw lines from there and think, okay, what are some of the problems in your city? And start with these and then move out, thinking about other geographical areas or political areas, as well as adding maybe social or environmental problems. And mind mapping for me is a really good way of organising your thoughts. When you see this writing part two question or when you're asked a part three, sometimes you have so many ideas in your head, you need to organise them very quickly. If you practice at mind map, it's a really, really good way to do it. Now, even for your part two, you could do a mind map for your speaking part two question and then you may find that a lot of the information you have there is still relevant and can be expanded for this part three. So listen to this answer. So I'm going to remind you of the question. The question was, what are the biggest problems faced in many cities today? So here's my answer from the mind map. It seems like most cities across the world are facing huge challenges at the moment. 
ranging from environmental uh, to as levels of pollution are high due to factory emissions, and this affects air quality, to overcrowding and overpopulation, as so many people have been obliged to relocate to urban areas in order to look for work or schooling for their children. So in this answer, we've identified the problems, two problems I've kind of focused on, pollution and overcrowding, and then we've added detail. So the factories and the air quality connects to the pollution, and the work and schooling connects to the overcrowding. So that is a very full, complete answer with some nice vocabulary in there, just in a few lines. So another similar topic. What problems does an over-reliance on private transport cause in urban areas? So same strategy, identify and detail. So for many cities and town planners, transport has to be one of the most important and worrying issues. As use of private cars has continued to grow, traffic problems, including traffic jams, pollution and dangerous air quality, have become more and more concerning. In China, for example, the government have implemented policies which only allow people to drive on certain days of the week. Okay? Have they identified the problems? So the traffic jams, the pollution, the air quality, and I've added detail by using China as my example and something I know about China, which is restrictions on driving. Okay, so that's the second thing we've looked at, identifying problems and adding detail. Third thing, another skill we need to be able to do for part three speaking is develop your opinion. So you can talk about your own opinion, but it's very important to think of this as a broader discussion and not just what you think. So useful preparation to do this is practicing expressing your opinion and writing it down. And I just want to give you this little challenge. So you take a pen and paper and write down this list. Health, wealth, family, society, career growth, and intellectual growth. And just ask yourself, how important are these in your life? So if you had to rank them, one to six, how would you do this? Why did you decide to do it this way? So these are all ways, it's a very simple exercise, but it's a very good way of making you think about your opinion, but most important, why did you decide this? So it's thinking about your opinion, but developing it because you have to justify it. You have to say why you think this is important or not. You may want to disagree or challenge a statement that the examiner makes. So make a note of some of the useful language you're going to hear in these examples. Example here. Do you agree that teaching children is easier than teaching adults? Is the answer. Many people would agree with this assertion, as children learn quickly and often more easily than adults, especially if the topic is new or exciting. But I think that just because they're young and keen, it does not necessarily follow that youngsters are easier to teach. In fact, in many cases, teachers may have discipline issues to deal with, which is a lot less likely with adults. So you can see here that I've, my opinion is there, but also it's quite subtle, and I'm talking about lots of wider issues as well. So useful language here. Many people would agree with this assertion, and then I'm saying why. And then a bit later, but I think that, and this is really good, just because they are young and keen, it does not necessarily follow that. So just because, and then your 
phrase, they are young and keen, it does not necessarily follow that. Youngsters are easier to teach. So this is really nice, high level, band seven and above speaking phrases that you could be using uh, very easily in your speaking test. So another example here, do you think parents should control how much TV their children watch? Clearly asking for an opinion, but I'm going to try and broaden it out. This is a difficult question. I totally understand that many parents who need some quiet time are inclined to use the TV as a babysitter. It may be true that many children watch a lot of TV, and it's hard to believe that this is as constructive or informative as reading or playing in the park with friends. So I think hours should be monitored when possible, as exercise and socialising are also important. Okay, so I've given my opinion, but then I've got this concession. It may be true that many children watch a lot of TV, yeah, and it's hard to believe that this is as constructive or as informative as playing or reading. Okay, so there's some really nice expressions in there which sound very natural, um, but which are doing quite a highly clever, skilled job for you. So make a note of those when you are developing your opinion. So number four, the next thing we're going to look at is expressing doubt and probability. So again, like all these expressions we're going through today, there's some good grammar coming into this. And this could help you score well, not only in your IELTS speaking test, but of course in your writing part two as well. So you can see the links I keep on making between these two parts of your IELTS exam. As you prepare and as you get feedback for your writing, keep this connection in mind. All the work you do for speaking part three is really useful for writing part two. So the verb to doubt, so we're expressing doubt, means that you think something is unlikely and we use this to express caution or the unlikelihood about something happening. Let's look at some examples here. Whilst most governments know that radical steps need to be taken in order to mitigate global warming, personally, I doubt that enough will be achieved in my lifetime. So we're using it like a verb here. Personally, I doubt that enough will be achieved in my lifetime. So really saying, I don't think that enough will be done. Okay, but I doubt that is a much more sophisticated structure and much more high level uh, for your grammatical marking. Uh, here's another one. Many teaching professionals have their doubts about an extreme focus on exams and testing, as it's been shown that many children really struggle with this formal kind of education. So here we're using it as a noun. Many teaching professionals have their doubts about. Don't forget that preposition about, which comes with it. Many teaching professionals have their doubts about an extreme focus on exams and testing, as it's been shown that many children really struggle with this formal kind of education. Okay. Another response to a different question, obviously. This is more back to the air quality. A successful solution to the problem of air quality and its effect on so many citizens looks in doubt at the moment. So this is another way we can use it. Something looks in doubt, it looks unlikely. So a successful solution to the problem of air quality and its effect on so many citizens looks in doubt at the moment. So there's no obvious solution right now. So that's a really neat little word, doubt, that you can try and use and that will help you a lot to score highly. 
So, so far in this tutorial, we've looked at comparing and contrasting. We've looked at identifying problems or reasons and detailing. We've looked at developing your opinion. We've looked at expressing doubt. And there's two more skills which we're going to look at, which I think are really worth the effort to master. Uh, expressing, expressing probability. So that's the likelihood of something happening and then speculating. So probability. How likely do you consider the possibility that a cure for all infectious diseases will be found? Okay, so we're going to be positive here. We're going to think of a, yep, there's a good chance. It is quite probable that in the next 20 years, a cure for cancer, for example, will be found given how much research is being done. I'm using, it is quite probable that. Equally, you could say it's very probable or very likely. That's another way of saying it. But it's a nice way to start your sentence. And then that leads you on. You can give more examples and reasons for your opinion after that. Another one here to give you an example. Do you agree that the trend among many young people not to read books anymore will continue? Now, this is a trend, and for me, I think this is a really sad trend, so I'm going to say, unfortunately, I think there's a strong probability that young people, because they are often absorbed with their phones, are less likely to read than their parents' generation did. And that in the future, there is little chance of this development being reversed. So I'm using two expressions here. There's a strong probability that something will happen, so future verb. And then also I'm using there isn't, uh, there's little prospect. So there's little, that means not much prospect of this development or this trend being reversed. So little prospect and then preposition of. Another one similar to that is there isn't much likelihood of. Okay, so we're using um, the nouns possibility, chance, or prospect, or probability, or likelihood. So make a note of those. Again, really, really useful words. Let me just give them to you again. Possibility, chance, prospect, probability, and likelihood. All really good kind of abstract nouns. So useful for writing part two and obviously the speaking part three as well. So the final skill we're going to look at today, thank you for staying here, um, is speculating. Okay, something which you are familiar with for writing tasks too, particularly in problem and solution essays. So it's a great opportunity when you're speculating to show off your use of modal verbs. I'm a huge fan of modal verbs. Any of you who've worked with me on the um, IELTS course and I've been correcting your essays, um, I'm always talking to you about modal verbs. It's a great technique in academic writing and really useful. So here we're using conditional sentences quite often, and that's going to mean extra points. So useful words to start these sentences when we're speculating are unless, as long as, on condition that, provided that, and supposing that. So make a note of some of those. So a possible question, what could be done to prevent future job losses among young people? Answer, unless drastic action is taken to provide more jobs or offer intensive training opportunities, many newly graduated students may end up 
only working for a few years. Okay? So I've got my conditional structure, un unless, instead of if, and then I've got my modal verb, may, but you could also use might or could. So they're relatively interchangeable. They're suggesting a possibility. Here's another one. Is tourism responsible for damaging local livelihoods and customs? And should we be travelling less? As long as people want to go on holiday and have the funds to afford such global trips, it's hard to stop this trend and the damage it might cause. Okay, so as long as I'm using and then uh, the damage it might cause. Supposing that travel to remote areas was banned or limited, this could significantly affect the income of many villagers, although of course it would probably in turn allow a return to a less commercial way of life. So you've got a lot going on in that answer. We've got as long as, and then the modal verb, it might cause, the damage it might cause on that first sentence. And then we're carrying on. Supposing that travel was banned or limited, so I'm speculating. If it was banned or limited, what would happen? This could significantly affect the income of many villagers. And then I'm conceding, of course, although of course, it would, another modal verb, probably in turn, allow a return to a less commercial way of life. So that kind of answer in there is packed full of clever grammar, clever skills, really, really useful, um, yeah, skills, sub-skills, useful ways, tactics um, for approaching this part three so you can feel really confident and, uh, yeah, just ace it. So let's just go through what we've done today in this tutorial. We've looked at comparing and contrasting, identifying problems or reasons and detailing, developing your opinion, expressing doubt, expressing probability, and finally speculating. So all those are super useful for this IELTS speaking exam, especially the part three, and also, of course, bonus for writing part two. So if you are struggling with your IELTS preparation and you want to get some friendly professional help, please have a look at the podcasts, sign up for the podcasts and sign up for the emails at IELTSpodcast.com and that will get you lots of tutorials and guidance. And of course, get involved in the course, uh, Ben's amazing 12 sentence writing guide course at the moment is being refreshed and updated. So lots of new essay titles in there and the feedback service. So we correct your essay. You can send it into us to get some feedback on how you're doing. And this is just the best way to improve. So if you have a friend who's also working for IELTS, then please share this with them. And good luck to all of you with your preparation. I'm Daphne and thank you for listening. IELTSpodcast.com.